All right, welcome back to another edition of This Week in College Football, brought to you by CFB Talk Daily. Today is Monday, December 6th. Uh, I know it's been a while. Uh, we we could probably talk for three hours on what has happened since our last episode, but we're going to try and keep it recent. Uh, so we're going to start with the craziest development in what I, I mean, what I would think in college football for the past few seasons is the, the amount of job openings that have happened in such a little time. So big jobs too. Yeah, like not like little jobs. Like, you know, mid majors always open up, but some of the jobs that have opened up have been very quick and very surprising. Um, example, the Oklahoma job opened up what seemed to be out of nowhere. Because Lincoln Riley obviously goes to USC. So we'll start with the Oklahoma job. It appears Brent Venables, that's the last reports that we've seen while recording. Um it appears Brent Venables is going to be the guy. He's going to leave Clemson after a cabillion years to go run his own show for the first time. How do you like that move? I think it's pretty good. Oklahoma, you know, always score points, and defense has been a little iffy under Lincoln, and they have talented guys, and I think that Venables was bound to get a head coaching job eventually anyway, so why not give it a try at Oklahoma? Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think this is a good hire for them. Um you know, kind of what you were just saying, defense has always been their kryptonite. Um, and, you know, this isn't – I think the good thing with Venables is this isn't a guy who's been like a D.C. for two years and then he's getting his first head coach job. You know, he's been at Clemson since 2012, was the D.C. at – was yeah, was the D.C. at Oklahoma in 04. So he's been the next man up for a while. Um, I think if his son wasn't a Clemson, maybe he leaves a few years ago. Me, I don't know. That's just my take on it. So I think that this is like a pretty good hire. I think Brent Venables, this is going to sound weird, has head coaching experience without actually being a head coach because he's been the assistant head coach for so long. He's been a DC in this in programs for so long. Uh, so I, I, I think you're not really going to have to worry about a learning curve with him when it comes to, um, like you know, first time head coach kind of debacles my, my only concern about uh venables like i think it's successful but i think that he doesn't really bring anything interesting to the sec that they haven't seen already the sec is full of good defenses you got to bring something to the table that makes you different yeah and so while we're talking about oklahoma and the sec it kind of leads us into lincoln riley going to usc who i mean lincoln riley from the beginning i i believe has been very advocate that he did not want to leave the Big 12 to go to the SEC. So now he skips town after winning Bedlam and goes to L.A. Uh, in my opinion, that was a huge score for him. Uh, I'm not sure if you share that same opinion being an Oregon fan. You might hate it. So what, what, what do you think on the Lincoln-Riley-USC? What's their outlook? Um, I think that it's a smart move for Lincoln because it's an easier – uh, path to uh, playoff for him. The Pac-12 is not as good. I mean, it's got Oregon and Utah, really. And it, Washington's going to be pretty good now. We'll get to that in a little bit. But I think it's an easier path for him. Plus, uh, L.A., Norman, Oklahoma. L.A. is a pretty nice place to live, raise a family. I mean, <laughs> it's a very warm place. Oklahoma is not uh, all that great. But I, I think it's a good move for him. Although, uh, we're going to talk about the Smokergate and the uh, Coach Williams stuff. Well, we will obviously talk Smokergate. So why don't you run us down on Lincoln Riley's Smokergate? 
All right. So uh, in Oklahoma, a uh, friend of the program, Travis Davidson, left smokers at local uh, at a Lincoln Riley's house, like recruiting events, all that sort of stuff. And uh, I believe Lincoln Riley sold the house they were in so he couldn't get his smokers back when, when Lincoln Riley uptown in the middle of the night. But have no fear. They've been returned after the the outcry on social media. They've been returned. And I mean, and this was a lengthy development too. Like this wasn't like you know a few hours. He hadn't heard from them, and then he got the smokers back. I want to say they were held hostage for you know five, four or five days. I think or like Thursday he got his smokers back finally. Mm-hmm. Um, and on a side note, Lincoln Riley did a few years ago post a picture of a brisket that he cooked, and I'm you know, I'm no brisket expert. But it looked pretty bad. So maybe that's what he got out of Oklahoma. <laughs> maybe they knew that he wasn't a barbecue guy. Yeah, but, no, but for Lincoln, I definitely agree that that was an easier – it's an easier path to success. Um, you know, going into the SEC, especially you got to think they're going to stay in the – you, you got to think they're going to go into the West. And the SEC West is every week you're playing a playoff game um, for the most part. You know, every SEC West team's going to a bowl. Um, so for him, you know, you're going to California, which high school football, probably a top three state, um, UCLA is down. So you're not going to have to be recruiting against them. You're going to have basically the basket of, I mean, of, uh, California to pick from. Um, so he's going to, and he's, he's recruited California well, even at Oklahoma. So you got to figure, even if, if he continues to recruit California well, uh, he's obviously an offensive guru, quarterback guru. He's had how many Heisman winners in such a short time? Um, yes, yeah, so he's really only going to play a few tough games a year, and I don't see it to be crazy that in three years there that USC is a top five program. Now he's already flipped two five stars. Uh, yep. I, I don't think that's a crazy a crazy idea that they being in the Pac-12. Only playing Oregon once a year. I'm, I'm not sure how the Pac-12 at a conference schedule works. I'm not sure. I mean, I'm sure they'll get them on a cross-up. Um, but you're really you're going to be playing Oregon once. You're playing uh, Utah. I think Oregon, USC. Uh, I think quite yearly. Do they? Obviously, I'm not. I'm not aware on the uh, Pac-12 like you yeah, are. I believe I'll, you have to play them every year. I'll take your word for it. But still. I, I think that was a really smart move for him, and they also gave him a boatload of money. Um, yeah, I think it's a good move. Uh, I, I like switching to Kaywin DeBoer at Washington. I think that's a good hire. The players seem excited about it on Twitter, the ones that I follow and stuff. So I think that the Pac-12 gained a lot of respect nationally with the, a few of these hires. Um, unfortunately, yeah. uh, one of them may be leaving. But... Yeah, well, I mean, DeBoer, but he's you know he's not like a Power 5 guy going to a Power 5, but Fresno State's been really been good the last few years, so this is a respected, respectable hire for Washington. They want to beat Oregon. Um, yeah, so, uh, I mean, Washington State's a good program. This is a guy who's coming in. And, I mean, Washington, not that they're a, a blue-blood program, but they've been good over the last 10 years. I mean, they went to the playoffs once. Um, Might have got the doors blown off of them. We'll leave that up for debate. Um, but, but no, I, I think if the PAC 12 and I've always said this about the PAC 12 and I've said it to you, I believe I probably said it on air The the PAC, the problem with the PAC 12 has always been that it's not top heavy. Like a lot of the other conferences are, I think the PAC 12 and it's good because it's just a lot of good teams. 
Like there's like this year, Oregon was the only like exceptionally good team, except for Utah, obviously. But you know, so so for outside of Oregon and Utah, everyone else is is normally pretty good, and they just beat each other. So yeah, no, I, uh, and, and I think I that's good. The... For, I think it's good for the Pac-12 to have a bunch of good teams, but it you know they kind of shoot themselves in the foot. I, I described the Pac-12 as eating its own babies. That's what it does. It's like yeah. teams like start off on good things, and then like, you're like an Oregon who like you're about to make the playoffs, and then you run into a Utah that just slaps like, slaps you upside the head, and then does it again two weeks later. Yeah. Like, and and now everyone's like, oh, the Pac-12 is trash instead of instead of saying, oh, Utah's actually been really good since they switched quarterbacks. Yeah. Yeah, I kept but if, Utah, if it was the SEC, that. people would be like, "Oh, what a great coach decision." Oh yeah, well, I mean, look at the the narrative right now with the SEC. It's like split fifty fifty with Georgia. Like, oh, Alabama's just really good, and mm-hmm. well, Georgia sucks. Like, you know, that's that's the narrative right now. But it's the kind of the same thing that's happening in the pack with an additional matchup. The additional matchup kills them, but you know, it's an interesting kind of concept to see. Yeah, I agree with that. So while we're talking, we're still going to talk about some coaches. Um, another shocking, really shocking development, like when you told me I actually didn't believe you at first, uh, was Brian Kelly going to LSU. Uh, if, you, if you boil it down, um, I thought that Brian Kelly being 60, going into like what a lot of people consider your legacy era, he could have stuck at LSU, I mean, at uh, Notre Dame, probably for the rest of his coaching tenure. Maybe not rest of it, but maybe, you know, next five, six years. Win 10, 11 games, sneak into the playoff once, twice more times, and you know, cruise off into the sunset. Now you're going into the SEC, especially, the, and now, you know, I've said it once, but the SEC West at LSU, he might regret that decision because people he might end his coaching career as oh, brian kelly couldn't get it done and that narrative's already kind of out about uh, against him with notre dame in the playoffs yeah no i, I agree with that i think that I, I tweeted that i think he's gonna win a lot of games at lsu but i don't believe he wins the national championship i think i'll never get over the hump i mean and even the national championship thing national championship game you still got to beat alabama Every every year you have to beat Alabama, and you're I mean Auburn's up and down program. You know sometimes they win six games, sometimes they win ten. It makes no you know they're they're one of those programs where it's like all right this year we're going to win six, next year we're going to win ten, and we're going to beat Alabama. And even they won six games this year and they competed with Alabama. So every team in the West made a bowl game this year. You got Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Arkansas was good this year. So the West there's nowhere to hide. Where I mean it's kind of cheap to say but at notre dame they do handpick their schedule and i will say there's pros and cons like i will say they can't control that florida state and usc and stanford are all down but i'd rather play those three teams when they're up than play the sec west gauntlet every week absolutely and it's different when you're in a conference too because you see the same teams every single week yeah like you know, they, have, they, they adjust to you and they figure out what you like to do year in year out so that's how i feel about that so we're going to jump out of Power 5 for a second here, drop down to the group of five a little bit. Uh, this is actually something that we were in on early with Rod Carey at Temple. Um, I know you were very involved in it. You wrote the piece on it. You talked to a lot of players, um, a lot of them who would like to remain anonymous, so we will respect their wishes on that. Um, 
So Rod Carey out uh-huh. at Temple. First coach, and I think it was, what, the last five coaches to not go from Temple to Power Five? Is that what you said? Yeah, I think that was uh, there's that where they've all, like, uh, like I said, like, probably didn't do another job. Like, Do, got a better job out of it. Does that include Manny Diaz? <laughs> I mean, genuinely. I, I don't know if that includes him, but I mean, technically, one time Temple head coach Manny Diaz is now the coach at Miami. A 17 day head coach, man. I, I mean, but so I, I know you knew a lot more about the situation than I did. I hate to keep throwing it on you to explain things, but. <laughs> it's all good. I, I know that there was an abusive, not an, you know, an abusive environment with the way that he talked to players and treated players. Uh, you know a lot more. About uh, yeah. Uh, basically, he was, like, telling players, like, he was just kind of being a dick. Like, a lot of the players said they had no relationship with him. Like, uh, I, I had one player and a writer both verify that I, after he entered the transfer portal, and he was a, a two-year starter at Temple, that he went to get his stuff out of the facility, and one, he was locked out, like the Jamal Adams video, and Rod Carey walked out and said, who are you? After yeah, he played there for two years. And I had two people confirm this. The player would happen to, he's a starter at a Power 5 school now, so he's clearly not a bum. And then uh, one of their writers also confirmed it, that he was there. Yeah, that that's, I mean, walking out, like having no relationship with your head coach, especially if you're a two-year starter for the pro, I mean, especially if you're a starter for the program. I mean, you just look at, I mean, you see the video from when Notre Dame players were in the weight room and then, and Freeman walked in and they said, oh, your next head coach. That relationship with your coordinator, and granted, you're spending, you know, at the time he was a coordinator, spending, you're spending more time with him one-on-one in your position, but I'm sure those all weren't defensive guys. Those are yeah. offensive guys who were quick to jump up and hug him who were excited to play for him. There's a difference. I mean, there's a reason why Temple is is down right now. Yeah. And could part of that be that none of these guys wanted to play for Rod Carey? None of them wanted – they didn't want to go out and play. I saw Temple live in person, mm-hmm. and the, they did not look like the team I expected. I didn't – I didn't really do much research in Temple, but I said, you know, Temple's typically a good team. I, I wasn't too optimistic going into that game and it being a blowout against Rutgers week one. I said, you know – and I said that too. I said, Temple's a good team. You let them hang around. They might, you know, squeak one out, walk out of here with a win, and Rutgers – looked like the greatest team in the face of the earth from the second quarter on. Yeah, I, I think... It, uh, it looked like they quit. They had, I think, 40 players transfer in four years, including, you got to look at uh, Anthony Russo, who had transferred, a one-time Rutgers commit, transferred from Temple to Michigan State to be a backup. Like you got to think, like, how bad a situation if you're willing to leave to go sit the bench? Like, yeah. So, I, we just mentioned Manny Diaz. Mm-hmm. So... I will say we are recording this at 5.07 on Sunday. So if, if, if anything comes out at 8 o'clock and we say something here that's, that's a, you know, old news, don't kill us for it, okay? But at yeah. the moment, at 5.07 on Sunday, he is still the Miami coach. But <laughs> Miami personnel have publicly came out and said that they're not comfortable firing Manny Diaz until they get a signature from Mario Cristobal. Now, one, I know that kills you because Mario's your guy. But two, if you're Manny Diaz, why? why I, I mean, I, why would you go back? Yeah, why not quit? At this point, like you know that you're not their guy. They don't want well, you there. 
It's 50-50. It seems to be like the one guy from who was a representative, I don't know if he was a rep from like the committee that's running it right now because they don't have an AD, said that like the room split. Like some people want Manny Diaz, some want him gone. Like if I'm Manny Diaz, like see you later. Dude. Like you you guys aren't going to be on me. Why am I going to Why am I going to be out recruiting for you when you're out saying, well, he's not our guy, but our guy hasn't signed yet. And if he doesn't, we'll just going to take it back. Yeah. Like you're, you're openly a second option. Yeah, and you're currently the coach. Yeah, see, that's what I think is weird. I also think it's very weird how, like, so I just saw that Cristobal and Miami have agreed to details, but Cristobal hasn't signed yet because he's still torn. So I don't know if, like, I feel like he's actually really torn. And I saw that uh, Manny Diaz has two visits scheduled for tomorrow. Cristobal had two today. Like, I feel like it's very weird how they're both kind of just going about things as if, like, as if nothing's going on. Like, like Manny Diaz is still like, yeah, I'm still here because, like, Truthfully, Manny Diaz is in a bad spot. Like, he could, A, be gone tomorrow, or tomorrow it's all going to be wrapped up. He's got another year as their head coach. Yeah, and I, and I think it's harder for Cristobal, honestly, too, because, like, if you're – I mean, uh, for Diaz. Because if, if Diaz is out recruiting right now, he can't twist the narrative into being – how do you tell a kid, come play for me at Miami when Miami doesn't even want me here? At least Cristobal, yeah. you know, if he's out recruiting a kid – and let's say he accepts the job at Miami. He could turn around and have a legitimate shot at flipping the kid to Miami. Yeah. Or, you know, continue recruiting the kid to Miami. If Manny Diaz is out recruiting a kid right now, like, how are you going to pitch your program when your program won't even pitch you? And be like, listen, uh, cause if I could ask him, like, I saw a few Oregon uh, commits that Cristobal visited. Straight up asked him, are you leaving? Denied it to one of them. The other one, unsure. Because uh, he doesn't really talk much, according to Justin Hopkins from Scoop Duck. But the other, uh, like Manny Diaz, if a kid asks him, "Are you leaving?" What is he gonna say? Like, oh, "I'll let you know by midday tomorrow." Like, like he doesn't even know if he's leaving. Yeah, he could be like, oh, "I'll I'll let you know. I I might be." Like, like he can't even give him like any kind of closure on the situation because Miami is just. I I I blame Miami for this. Miami, you wouldn't like. I'm sorry. Like Miami's been bad, but. They're still like a traditional good football like program. Like they're still historically good, like what they did in the '90s, and like even like a few years ago with the at the start of the turnover chain. Like when you think of college football, like they're not the first team you think of, but they're in the family photo of college yeah. football programs of all time. Yeah, you would. Yeah, of all time. Yeah, historically, yes. But right. you would think that a program like them would handle this situation miles better than they have. Like, this is a situation that I would expect, and uh, you know, this is going to kill me to say, but I would expect Rutgers to do something like this. Oh, yeah, absolutely. This, this is, we should, we should call it, it should be, they're Rutgersing it all up. They're just, things are just a mess. And, like, I, I've been seeing that, like, people are saying, like, oh, some, like, like you said, some people want DS, some people don't. Like, could you imagine the room, like, like how do you go about this right now? Like, if because, like, they said they agreed to details with Cristobal. Like, did half the room agree to it and the rest of being like, well, I don't think we should do this? Like, yeah, and like if you're a recruit, like why does half your program not want you? Like how how do how do you pitch that to a kid? That that's what yeah. really gets me confused. But the thing I've been reading is that so before the AD was fired, like apparently like there was like no like money coming to the program, no boosters. Now it's all boosters, and it's just like a bunch of people, and they're like, oh, let's throw money to Mario Cristobal. Like what if the like, there's no AD, so what if the athletic department is like barely like on board with this and they don't want to fire Manny. Cause like if it was that easy, you would have fired him already. And like you would have taken crystal ball or like the next best candidate if you're done with Manny. Yeah. 
Because, like, as you could be, like, anyone better than Manny. But, like, is it you only want Cristobal? And if not, like, well, the Manny's an all right guy? Like, Yeah. What, yeah what, where's the line between our guy and the right guy? Yeah, you're like, all right, well, if Mario says no, then I guess we could stick it out with Manny for a few more years. Like, I don't know. I, mean, I just – I feel like it's a mistake to take the Miami job. I mean, I, I understand his mother's sick. But, like, you can't put – and I also saw that Oregon won't budge above a certain number – Probably because, like, I saw that tweet where Oregon would go after Chip Kelly again. They probably feel that with the players we have now, Chip Kelly would I don't know, maybe get us back to a playoff game. But who knows? And, and I mean, but, I don't know what you, I don't know what UCLA is paying Chip Kelly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I saw the number from Miami was about like eight a year, right? So you got to think. I'm, I'm looking up Chip's salary. Uh, his salary right now is. Three and a half. Oh, next year it goes to four, three, and then it goes up to five. So you got to think if Oregon feels that they can get Chip Kelly for like six million dollars a year, six and a half million dollars a year, compared to retaining Cristobal for eight, like I don't think you're really losing too much. You're you're losing a you're losing a great recruiter, but Chip Kelly's been the guy. So I I think that's like their fallback. Like all right, like yeah, we lose Mario Cristobal, but we're not getting. Some random guy. We're gonna chip well, Kelly, guys is, who's taken us to the land before. And Oregon isn't a school like I'm not, I hate to use Rutgers as an example, but like you don't need to really sell kids to go there, right? Like there's kids that are born like Oregon fans, like like very talented kids that want to go to Oregon. Like like it, it's not much of a hard sell, you know what I mean? Like and and take a look at their facilities. Yeah, yeah exactly. You can have a kid like, on visit. You have Nike backing them. Yeah, exactly. That's what I mean. Like you don't need you don't need to be the best recruiter. It's not. It's not the hardest place to recruit kids to. I mean, even though Scott Frost said it's impossible to recruit kids to Eugene, but that, that was a ridiculous comment. Yeah, Scott, uh, uh, Scott Frost. That, that is so such well. a ridiculous. Okay, it is impossible to recruit kids to Oregon. This is basically what he said. I mean, uh, yeah, he's so lucky that he went to Nebraska, Scott Frost. Oh, he'd be toast anywhere else. Like, yeah. Uh, did you see uh, Adrian Martinez visiting Kansas State? I hate to throw that yeah, on you, but... that's a good move for him. I like that. Yeah, I like that. that I don't even hate like... Adrian Martinez. I had a vendetta against Nebraska, but I never really hated him. Um, I don't hate him. I would say that's a fair assessment. I think he had a lot of hype. Because like me and my dad were talking about it the other day. Because we were talking about Scott Frost. All right. And like the typical first thing people say about Scott Frost is, oh, well, he turned down Joe Burrow. He's an idiot. All right, yeah, he did. He did turn down Joe Burrow. But do we forget the hype that was behind Adrian Martinez after a sophomore year? Yeah, people thought he was going to be very good. People thought he's, that he was, was like, going to go to— he No, I know. But, but, like, the hype behind Martinez after a sophomore year was like, oh, this kid's, like, he's a program-changing quarterback. He's going to be a Heisman guy, blah, blah, blah. So, like, Scott Frost walks into a program, gets what he believes is a Heisman quarterback. Why would he take Joe Burrow? I, I agree with that because, like, he wasn't the guy who, like, at the time you weren't thinking, oh, we have to replace this kid. Yeah, like, he thought that he had his guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. That's a, that's a good point you make. So, let, we've been talking about a lot of coaches leaving. So, let's talk about a few staying. Um, the first one is because it's more recent. Uh, Lane Kiffin extends at Ole Miss. Great move for them. Good move for Lane. Uh, the one to me that's a head scratcher, you might not agree, is Michigan State throwing a boatload of money at Mel Tucker. Mm-hmm. What do you uh, think? Because I want to see what you think. 
I think that Mel Tucker, uh, well, yeah, if you're Michigan State, you had to pay him, right? I think they paid a, a way too much, but you never know what LSU or other programs offered him, right? So, like, it's hard to say. But I think he's good for them because they were like they were pretty good this year. I mean, they were, and they have an attitude about them, and like that defense is kind of back because the last few years they had they a were personality flat, this year. Um, yeah, yeah, they, 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 they were flat this year. Years. Like you, nothing scared you about playing Michigan State this year. You were kind of like, oh, Michigan State, like they're, they're pretty good. Like, and Mel Tucker, you know, if he's a guy who's gonna stick around there, I could see him being pretty successful there because it's it's a hard job, but you could be a Penn State. I feel like. Yeah, I always felt like Michigan State, like if you're winning eight, nine games a year, squeaking out of ten, like they like you. Like D'Antonio, exactly. like he did that forever. And you're one or two wins a year away from a playoff berth. Yeah. If, if, if you get like, those nine wins, you're one lucky year away from – you beat Ohio State, beat Michigan, you're probably in the playoffs. So it's... Not even. You beat Michigan, and if Ohio State beats Michigan, hmm. you, eh, you'd still have to beat Ohio State. So you got me. But, like, to me, like, <clears throat> Mel you Tucker – yeah, hand up, you got me on that one. My, my <laughs> mind wasn't fully processing three steps away. Um, I forgot how tiebreakers work. <laughs> um, but so, like, to me, I don't know. Like, sure, they had to pay him. But Mel Tucker has had a, one good season, one bad season. And didn't do like a crazy good job of Colorado. Like they were five and seven, like not crazy good, not bad, like very mediocre. So you don't know, like, is this year an outlier and you just gave $95 million to a guy who's going to go seven and five for the next nine years? And you're going to want to pay him out. Yeah, sure. I, thought, I thought it was a very risky signing. Like there's, there's still a lot to be determined about Mel Tucker, in my opinion. And I think you don't throw $95 million at to-be-determines. Uh, that, that's true, but it, it seems to be a more uh, – uh, it seems to be like where the landscape shifting. I mean, you saw Kiffin got a big extension, and he, he was good at Ole Miss, but he didn't really light the world on fire. Like, I mean, their offense is exciting. They're going to lose their offense according to Oklahoma. But, like, I think Kiffin – I thought he was going to lose the national. Yeah, well, they're going to get Dylan Gabriel from UCF. So they're going to face one Hawaii boy with another Hawaii boy. So, um, yes, yeah, so I think that's the way it's shifting. You have to start paying these coaches a lot of money. All right. So uh, the Heisman candidates this year, probably Bryce Young, Aiden Hutchinson, and uh, maybe Kenny Pickett. Uh, who do you have for that, and who's your choice? Who do you think wins? So uh, we, we have two of the three of the same. Uh, I agree with you with Young. I agree with you, my man. Kenny, the only thing I have different, and it's just uh, now I'm starting to I'm starting to second guess myself, but I wouldn't be surprised if Kenneth Walker gets the nod over Hutchinson, only because the Heisman for so long has been an offensive award. You really don't see defensive players getting the respect they deserve. Hutchinson has done ridiculous this year. He is like the staple in their defense. Um, but Walker, the numbers he's put up. I think he had, what, five touchdowns against Penn State? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he had um, I think he had five. But so if those are my three, did you predict your winner yet? No. Okay. So we have the same two, three. I think it's going to come down to the same winner. Who's your winner? Uh, so I think it's going to be Bryce Young, but I want it to be Aiden Hutchinson. 
Uh, I think that Bryce Young won the Heisman in the SEC championship game. Uh, I agree, but I really wanted it to be Bryce Young. I mean, uh, 800. And, and I would love, I would love for it to be Kenny Pickett. Uh, I know I've told you this story. I'm not sure if I said it on air, and if I have, too bad you're going to hear it again. Uh, <laughs> we we're from the same area as Kenny Pickett. Um, and when we were seven years old, me and Kenny Pickett competed at a Monmouth University halftime show game, and we had to uh, <laughs> we had to on the baseline. We had to put on a pair of extra large pants, dribble to half court, put on an extra large jersey, then then go to the other baseline and make a layup. And I left him in the dust, like he was looking at my back the whole time. So fake slide. I, I didn't have to. He was I was gone. I, I don't know what he was doing back there. Uh, but so if Kenny Pickett could win the Heisman, I could hold that against him for the rest of his life, even though he has no idea who I am. He he doesn't remember that moment. I, I'm sure he might remember it, but I'm sure he doesn't remember it as vividly as I do. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's not just like, oh, yeah. Remember, you know, Matt from CFB talked daily. I beat him at halftime. Like, yeah, has a better ring. When I'm like, oh, you know, the Heisman winner, Kenny Pickett. I whooped his ass at a halftime show. And if Kenny, if you ever want to come on and talk about it, tell your side of the story. I would love to hear it because I didn't get to see your side of the story because I was already at half court by the time you were even thinking about getting there. <laughs> so I had to throw that out there. <laughs> That's funny. So that will wrap up this week's episode. Uh, next time we go on, we're going to give our playoff predictions. Uh, just a little quick throw in the lines. Alabama opened up as a 13 and a half point favorite. Georgia is a seven and a half point favorite. Uh, so next time we talk, we will the lines probably will change by then. Uh, we're going to give our picks, our predictions, and then that would eventually end up being our national championship game picks. After that, we will have signing day. It already happened. Who knows? But the way this offseason has happened or early signing day, but the way this offseason has happened, maybe every other coaching job is open. Nick Saban goes to Texas like they've wanted for the last 20 years. Uh, you, can't count, you can't count that out at this point, honestly, but... Uh, thank you guys for listening and we will talk to you guys soon.